I'm going to be talking today about conviction. Now, when you hear the word conviction, I just actually want you to stop for a second and think about the word conviction. There's a few different connotations that that word carries. Some people, when they think of conviction, they think of, you know, being convicted of our sins and Christ came and died on the cross so that we could experience grace and be convicted of our sin and, and be called to live in righteousness. And that is, that is an aspect of conviction, 100%. Today, I want to talk about the flip side of the coin. And I want to talk about conviction. Conviction is, is about being convicted of something and therefore, you know, you're called into righteousness. But conviction is also the mindset or the belief or the value that we carry. We're convicted of our value. You know, you can often hear people use the word conviction when it comes to politics. It's their conviction to vote for a certain political party because of their moral agreeances with that party. They have a conviction to vote for that party or to align themselves with that party. Or, you know, if people believe something, and, and they believe in a cause. You know, I like to think of someone like Mother Teresa, an amazing woman who has changed the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of people. She was a woman of conviction. She was convicted that God had sent her to minister and to run orphanages and to reach a certain people group. And by that conviction, she lived and changed the lives of so many. And, and I want to look at that conviction today, the conviction that brings determination, brings strength, the conviction conviction that leads you and enables you to follow what God has for you, for your life, for your family. And that's what I want to look at today. We're going to be turning to Exodus chapter 32. This is another non-planned thing. Mum, at the beginning of the service today, was talking about the Israelites and their exodus from Egypt, from being enslaved in Egypt. You know, the story of Moses and Aaron and Israelites' exodus from Egypt. And we did not talk about beforehand, but I'm talking about the exact same story today in my message. And she didn't know that until just now, and she's laughing. I really, really strongly believe that this is a word for us as a community, as people of God, as we step into this next season. I was going to preach this whether or not we were moving into in-person next week just because I really believe it's super, super, super important for what we're wanting to do next year. Matt and I, we shared about some of the vision that we feel like God's laid on our heart for the next year, which is like, what does it look like to actually become a revolution of love? We asked that question. What does it look like to become a revolution of love? How do we do that? You know, and we answered saying, well, we believe that how we become a revolution of love is by practicing the ways of Jesus and by looking at what Jesus did when he lived on the earth and beginning to, to copy the model that he lived. And we can't be people that practice the ways of Jesus if we're not people that live with conviction. We can't be people that practice prayer the way that Jesus did. We can't be people that practice community the way that Jesus did. We can't be people that practice ministry the way that Jesus did if we don't live with conviction. If we don't live with the belief that God sent his son to die on the cross so that we could have freedom and everlasting life. If we don't believe that Christ said that we will see greater and do greater than what he did when he walked the earth. If we don't believe and we don't read the word and take the word and what's promised to us and live from the conviction that it is true because it is, we won't be able to practice the ways of Jesus very well. 
We're, we're selling ourselves short if we think we can practice the ways of Jesus without being a people that live with conviction that what's in the Bible is true. And I want to look at a story today from Exodus chapter 32. It's a story that you will all know really well. It's the story of the Israelites and how they had left Egypt and they had gone through the Red Sea and they'd seen all these amazing miracles. They'd, they'd seen the deliverance, the salvation of God, of Yahweh. They had seen his salvation. They had known him. They have the cloud by day and the fire by night leading them. And they come to Mount Sinai. And just to give you a bit of context, so they're in Mount Sinai. They've traveled around a lot. They've seen victory by the power and by the hand of God. They've experienced manna being dropped from heaven and they've been sustained by the Lord. They've experienced a lot of God. They know that God is for them. They know that they are his people. They have experienced enough to believe. And we pick it up here in chapter 32. God spoke to Moses a few chapters earlier, actually. It's in chapter 24, 25, roughly around there, where God speaks to Moses and say, I want you to come up to the mountain because I want to speak to you and I want to give you some rules and the commandments and I want to give you instructions on how to build a tabernacle so I can be with my people and how to build the altar and the Ark of the Covenant. And so Moses gathers Aaron and some of the elders and they come to the foot of the mountain and they, uh, they do a sacrifice and they cleanse themselves and then Moses goes up the mountain and Moses is with God for 40 days, 40 nights. And during this time that Moses is up on the mountain, this is where we pick it up in Exodus 32. And we're going to start in verse one. Now, when the people saw that Moses had been delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together and they came to Aaron and said to him, come make us gods that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, break off your golden earrings, which are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. And so all the people broke off their golden earrings, which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and say, tomorrow is a feast to this Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down and to eat and to drink and they rose up to play. We're going to just pause right there. Israel have experienced the raw, almighty power of God. They have been sustained by his hand. They have experienced victory in the face of defeat and in the face of their enemies by his power and by the miraculous working of him splitting the Red Sea. They come to the point where they're at the bottom of a mountain And Moses has gone up to the mountain to meet with God. There's a cloud that comes over the top of the mountain. Moses is up there. He's meeting with God to receive from the Lord instruction for the benefit of the people of Israel. And here we have a people who question what's happened to Moses and they make a decision. They make a choice. They come to Aaron, the elder, the second in charge, and they say, Aaron, Make us a God that shall go before us. Make us a God that will go before us because we don't know what's happened to Moses. 
We don't know what's happened to him. Make a God that will go before us. When I read scripture and when I read stories in scripture, to be able to think about it and get it from the view of the people, I like to think of myself sometimes in the stories and I like to put myself in the story and be like, okay, so if I was an Israelite and I was at the foot of Mount Sinai and Moses, my leader, had gone up the mountain to meet with God. It says in Exodus 24 that the Lord descended upon the mountain and there was a cloud over the mountain. So Moses has gone up there to receive instruction that's going to benefit me. Would I, as an Israelite, begin to question, you know, after 20, 30, you know, ended up being 40 days and 40 nights? What would I do in that scenario? Would I be like the Israelites and would I doubt? Would I question? Would I, you know, be concerned that something's happened to Moses and request to, to have another God made for me? Or, or would I stay steadfast? I would hope that I would stay steadfast. I would hope that we would all stay steadfast. And I think we would. See, the people of Israel had been in captivity and slavery for generations. And so as they've been taken out of the land of Egypt, as they've been taken out of the slavery that they've grown up, that they were born into, there were generation after generation of Israelites that were born into slavery. They were born slaves. They didn't know anything else but to be slaves. They were removed from the environment, the only environment that they've known. And so their conviction, their belief, their inner conviction of like, oh no, this is what's true and I believe what's true, it wasn't super strong. It really wasn't. You know, even though they had seen the miraculous, they'd seen the power of God, they'd seen the hand of God, it actually says here within this portion of Exodus, it talks about the Israelites actually wanting to go back to Egypt because they want to eat the meat that the Egyptians would give them as slaves. They would rather be slaves to eat the meat of the Egyptians than be free and eat the manna that the Lord had given them. Their conviction was not strong. And it makes total sense that their conviction wasn't strong because, as I said, they'd been born into slavery. All they knew was how to be slaves. We aren't the same as the Israelites. Thank God we aren't. Thank God we haven't been born into slavery. And also another amazing thing is we're not under the, the Mosaic covenant. We're under the covenant of grace. We have a huge head start compared to the Israelites. We're not being persecuted. We're not born into slavery. We haven't had to, you know, experience the plague of locusts and experience the Nile turning to blood and then experience the Red Sea to part to experience our freedom and be led into freedom. We have freedom right here. The moment that we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, we experienced and came to know the grace that was poured out on the cross. Conviction, living with conviction, living from conviction should be so much easier for us. 
living with a firm belief that this is what the Bible says, this is what's true, this is what God's called me to do. It should be so much easier for us. We've been given a huge head start. We have the beauty of hindsight as well in the Bible. You know, hindsight's always a beautiful thing. We literally have thousands of years worth of hindsight at our disposal. And yet, we can live our lives, we can, our lives can happen to us, and it can just go by. And we, at some points in time, myself included, we don't live with the conviction that we've been called to live with as Christians. We settle for whatever the easiest path is. We settle for, you know, whatever's most comfortable in the moment. Sometimes, I mean, it's so entrenched in our culture that everything is around us is, is set up, hopefully, to make life easier for us, to make it easier to just click another button, to make it easier to, you know, not have to do the things that we used to have to do because technology is so amazing, it just does everything for us. You know, last night I was in the, it was in the city and we had to go and pay for parking and whatnot. And so we came up to this parking machine and it said, tap your phone. And so I tapped my phone on the parking machine, you know, because phone, you can tap phones now. But, you know, I've got my digital, my digital credit card on my phone and I go to tap it on the parking machine to, you know, lift up the gate to get into the car park. I didn't think in that moment, but I was like, oh, where's the ticket? Like I didn't get given a ticket then, right? And I was like, oh, you know what? It's, it's probably just electronic now. You know, it, it's easy. It's nice, whatever. Anyway, so we go, we have dinner and we're hanging out with some friends and we come back to the car and I'm like, how do we get out now? Because I don't have a ticket. Like I was baffled. And so we pulled into the car and then I was like, and I was watching people, you know, go in and they were all putting their tickets in the machine. I'm like, where's our ticket? Like, how are we going to get out of this car park? It was honestly a, a conviction inside of me that there was, it wasn't possible to leave the car park unless I had a ticket to slide in the machine to watch the boom gate go up. And me and Lisa, we started going back and forth, having a nice little heated discussion. And Lisa's like, no, you don't need a ticket. Just use your phone, Nathan, use your phone. And I'm like, no, I'm telling you, babe, I need a ticket to get out of this car park. So we parked the car in a temporary park. I went back inside. I went to the ticket machine and I'm like, shoot, I can't even buy a ticket inside. Like how are we meant to get out of here? I'm like looking for a phone number to try and call someone, all that kind of stuff, because I'm, I'm convinced, right? I'm completely convinced. I'm convicted that I cannot leave this car park unless I have a ticket. Conviction's a funny thing, I'm telling you. Anyways, I get back in the car. I still don't have a ticket. I don't want to be that person. This is what I'm thinking in the back of the mind. I don't want to be that person that drives all the way to the boom gate and has three cars line up behind them and I can't get out. <laughs> that is like worst case scenario. Like, I don't want that to happen to me. Like, God, please don't let that happen. Anyways, Lisa's full of faith. She's like, let's just go. It'll be fine. You can probably tap your phone. So anyways, after 15, literally 15 minutes of me being confused and inner turmoil and stress, we went in the car, we drove to the boom gate and lo and behold, you can just tap your phone and you get out. And I was 
a little bit annoyed because I was like, I just wasted 20 minutes of my time. I thought I double paid as well because I paid at the machine inside $10 and got a receipt for it, but didn't get handed a ticket. And then I went to the boom gate and paid another $10 to get out and I felt duped. And thinking about it this morning, I was like, man, it was so entrenched in my brain that this was the way that it was, that this is the truth, that this is how it happens and it can only happen this way. It was so entrenched. Something as little as a car park ticket. But it made me think, what are the things that have been entrenched in us over these last 10 months from Zoom? What are the things that over the last 10 months that we've picked up, that we've learned that maybe it was culture that you know, told us a certain thing, maybe it was our circumstances that dictated a belief or convinced us of something, but what have we been convinced of over this last year over these last 10 months, over this last period of time, what have we been convinced of? What have we been convicted of that maybe shouldn't be something that we're carrying into next year? That maybe shouldn't be a conviction that we carry with us as we step out of Zoom church back to in-person church. I want you to just stop and think about that for a moment. What have I been convinced of? What have I been convicted of during this last period of time Like just begin to think about some things for a moment. What have I been convinced of in this last period of time? I guarantee that all of us have things that we've been convinced of that have happened because of the scenarios and the situations that we found ourselves in. Just like the Israelites, they were convinced that it would be better to be slaves at the hands of the Egyptians to eat meat than it would to be free and eat the manner, the provision of God. Conviction, whether we're aware of it or not, runs our lives. We all make split-second decisions that we don't even think about. You know, like I, think about when you're driving. Everyone here on the screen drives, except for children. When you're driving, you hopefully will put the blinker on when you want to turn right. And you will hopefully put the blinker on when you want to turn left. You'll hopefully stop at a stop sign. You know, if you see a red light, you, without thinking, you put your foot, you put your right foot on the brake and you brake. It's been drummed into you. It's been drummed into all of us that you must do that. That is the law. That is like, it's something, but it's not even something that you have to think about anymore. It's something that you just do. You're convicted that when you turn right, oh, I must press my right blinker. I must press the blinker down. And when I'm turning left, oh, I must press the blinker up to turn left. So many, so many split-second decisions, so many things, we, we look through a framework of what we've been convinced of and what we've been convicted of. And as we, as a body, are transitioning and moving back to in-person, not even just moving back to in-person, but as we as a body go on a journey over the next 12 months of looking at what does it look like to become a revolution of love? How do we become a revolution of love? As we pursue that together, as we pursue that as individuals, it is of the utmost importance that we believe what is, what is true about God that we are convinced of what the Bible says, that we're convinced of his word, of what he has spoken over us, and that we live by that and that alone. 
that we live by that and not what culture, not what is suggested that is relevant at that period of time. We can't live by, you know, what worked 10 months ago because it might be different. For me now, when I go and park at Crown in the city, I'm not going to be looking for a parking ticket anymore. I'm going to be looking to my phone or my credit card to tap it on the machine because apparently that's how it works now. What are the things in our lives that we've been convinced of, that we've been convicted of that maybe need to stay in this season? On the flip side of that, and this is a really, really, really exciting bit. On the flip side of that, what are the things that we get to pick up in this new season? What is it that God's saying to us as we transition back to in-person? What is God saying to us as we head into 2021? Because that's three weeks away, guys. That's less than three weeks. It's 17, 18 days away. We are less than three weeks away from heading into a brand new year. What are the things that God wants us to pick up and to run with and to be convinced of in 2021? As I've been thinking about this message, I've been thinking about some of the people, you know, they're all famous people that you'll know. I always look at sports stars. I always look at, you know, LeBron James and Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and, you know, Lionel Messi for those soccer fans or Ronaldo or, you know, who, or if you like AFL, I, I like looking at Scott Pendlebury for Collingwood, Gary Ablett. I like to look to sports stars. You know, people that leave a mark in sports they are absolutely people of conviction. They work their behinds off every day to become the best AFL player or the best soccer player or the best basketball player that they can possibly be. They work hard. There's a drive that's inside of them. They're convinced that they have to do it, that they must do it, and they see results. Or I think of someone like Martin Luther King, a man who changed the trajectory of a whole race of people in America. He changed the complete trajectory for black people in America. He was a man of conviction. You look at Mother Teresa, as I said before, she was a woman of conviction. There are so many possibilities. There is so much available to us. There is so much in the palms of our hands. There are so many opportunities that we have in our lives that are right there in front of us. And I fully believe, I fully believe that if we are people of conviction, that if we as a people, live convinced of the truth of the word of God, we will see incredible things. In Mark chapter 5, there is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible. One of my absolute favorite stories. It's a woman with the issue of blood. If you want to model, if you want someone to look at and you want to study something to understand conviction and belief, 
Look at this woman. Study her story. She had an issue of blood for over 12 years. In that time and day, when you were bleeding as a woman, you were classified as dirty. And she had consistent, a consistent flow of blood for 12 years. That was 12 years of societal and cultural shame to this woman. If you were to touch someone while you were bleeding, you made them unclean. You had to stay at the outskirts of the city limits. You weren't allowed to be in crowds. There were so many things that this woman went up against because of her circumstance, because of her issue. Yet she was a woman of complete conviction. In verse 28, it says, The woman said, if only that I may touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be made well. This woman comes into a crowd, ignoring what culture and society says, ignoring the law. She comes into a crowd because she's convinced that if I touch Jesus's clothes, I best be healed. I will be healed. She, she comes in. I imagine that she would have been heckled, that she would have been known for having this issue and people would have been questioning why she was there. She would have been weaving in and out of people and potentially touching people and possibly making them unclean in the eyes of the law as well. Like there were so many things against her in this moment, in this story. And yet, look what happened. She came, she touched the hem of his garment. And because of her faith, because of her belief, she experienced an outcome that changed her life. Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, be healed of your infliction. 12 years, 12 years of you're dirty, 12 years of you don't belong here, 12 years of get away from me, 12 years of ill, like you can make me unclean. And in one moment, because of her faith, because of her belief, because of her conviction that Christ can heal me, if I only touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Because of her conviction, look what happened. What would happen if the 19 screens with two people on every screen, roughly 40 to 50 people right now in this Zoom call, what would happen if we all were fully convinced that God sent his one and only son that all who shall believe in him will not perish but have eternal life? What if we were all fully convinced that God wanted to meet someone that we knew this week, that we picked one of our non-Christian friends and we were convinced that God has salvation for them and we went up to them and we were like, hey, like I just want to share this with you. Look at the potential of that one situation. That would be 40 people, 50 people that may hear the gospel for the first time or maybe the second time or the seed would be sown or maybe they would even get saved. 
What if we were a people convinced that for those that are struggling in our community around us, you know, we did this with milk. I don't know if you remember, but back in October, we, we gathered up and we collected milk. Do you know the amount of milk that we all collected? It may have only been three, four, five bottles each, but it ended up adding up and making a ridiculous amount of milk. I think it was like 80, 90, 100 bottles something like that. But we were convicted that we were like, we want to thank God because God's been so good to us. How can we be generous as a people? And we gathered some milk and it ended up blessing, thank you very much, Lisa, 84 liters of milk. And we gave them to Adra and it lasted them three or four week rotation. It pretty much covered, you know, close to a month's worth of milk that would go and bless people in the community. The, the repercussions of the choices that we make out of conviction can be enormous. They can be greater than what you even know. When I bought my five cartons of milk, me and Lisa, I didn't think that my five cartons would turn into a month's worth of supply for Adra. But God knows that. God knows that. We need to be a people like the woman with the issue of blood. We need to be a people that live with the conviction and the faith that says Christ is enough for me. That says God has an answer. That, that says God is the way maker when there seems to be no way that says, oh, we're at the Red Sea. There's no way around. We can't go back because there's an army there. Oh, I'm going to turn to God and believe. And the Red Sea is going to be parted. We need to be a people that when we're standing at the foot of Mount Sinai, figuratively speaking, when we're standing at our foot of the Mount Sinai, that we don't doubt and question that which God has said and what God has done. But that we have the ability to remember and to live convinced that God is who he says he is and that his word is true and that he is loving and that he is a faithful father. He doesn't let us down. He won't ever let us down. It's not in his nature. Failure isn't in the nature of God. Let's live as a people convinced that God wants to show up in every area, every part of our lives. Let's live as a people convinced of the, the endless possibilities that can come from a choice or a simple yes that we give to God. Let's live convinced that our two or three liters of milk can turn into 84, which can in, impact an organization for a month. Let's live convinced that our yes means so much more than what we could ever hope, dream, or imagine. So much more. Let's be a people 
that as we move into this new season, as we move into this new year, let us be a people that live convinced of the goodness of God, that live convinced of the faithfulness of God, that live convinced of his power, of his grace, of his mercy. Let us dream together. Let us believe together. Let us as a community be like the woman with an issue of blood that is willing to swim completely upstream against everything because of how convinced we are of who God says he is. Let us be those people. If you want to just close your eyes and bow your heads, I'd love to just pray for us that we would be a people that live convinced, that live with conviction. Father, hey God, we just come before you. Lord, we humbly come before you. We recognize our iniquities. God, we recognize that you are the the answer in all of our situations. God, I just ask, would you do a work in our hearts? Would you do a work in our minds? Lord, to enable us to live Give us the strength to live as people convinced of your goodness, convinced of your mercy. God, by your strength, God, by your power, let us not waver. Let us not doubt or turn turn away. God, but let us be a people that are steadfast in our convictions of who you say you are. God, would you do it in me? God, would you do it in us as a people? For your glory and for the sake of your kingdom coming, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.